The second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to preach to them. 
Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, who fulfills the law and the prophets. Amen. Two weeks ago, we read that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism in the Jordan. St. Luke doesn't tell us much about this. Unlike Saints Matthew and John's longer descriptions, Luke gives us a scant three sentences before the evangelist is off again describing Jesus' human lineage. Lest we think, though, that Luke views this as a mere momentary apparition, the evangelist picks up the story again by saying that Christ leaves the Jordan and enters the wilderness filled with the Spirit. We'll read this in about six weeks when we get to Lent. This isn't just a quick trip out to the desert, but rather a time of wrestling with temptation and Satan. And Christ does not go alone. He is, as Luke puts it, full of the Spirit. So today, we pick up the story. Jesus is back from his 40 days, back from the wilderness, and he begins his public ministry in the power of the Spirit. Christ's entire ministry is infused by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and so it is that in the synagogue, he takes up the scroll and reads from the prophet Isaiah, where he reads the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For the Spirit has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here it is. This is the thing for which Christ in Hebrew, the Messiah, in Greek and Hebrew, literally, the Anointed One, has been so anointed. This is what the Spirit has filled Christ for. This is how Jesus introduces his divine identity to the world. This is the gospel. This is the good news that he brings. It is a gospel message that is both deeply spiritual and personal, but also inherently social and political. Yes, the gospel pertains to sin and forgiveness and things supernatural, but it's also explicitly about what happens in this natural world here and now. It is concerned with human bodies. The gospel is good news for the poor. It's freedom for prisoners and slaves. It's liberation for the oppressed. The gospel is the year of the Lord's favor, what Leviticus calls the Jubilee year. The Jubilee is a year when land sold reverts back to its original owners to break up the estates of the wealthy and protect those who live in poverty. 
It's a year when those who had been sold into indentured servitude were released, when enslaved foreigners were emancipated. It was a year when all debts were to be forgiven. It was a year when even the land itself was left fallow to rest. It was a year that, though described in the book of the law, as near as we can tell, was never actually celebrated. So for Christ to come, bringing this long-promised time of liberation, this glorious news, is the good news. This glorious news of liberation is wonderful. It is good. But it is only good to those filled with the Spirit. It is only good for those with eyes to see. It is only good for those with ears to hear. Because if we hear it through the ears of this present fallen age, if we look upon it with the eyes of this world, then we see it as divisive. We see it as us versus them. We see it as good news for some, but terrible news for others. Because it is a calamity to those of us who still cling to our earthly positions. It is a calamity for those of us who, because of income or race or nationality, benefit from the oppression of others and would rather not give up what we have. It's a calamity to those of us who would turn a blind eye to the injustices of this age so long as we remain comfortable. If we would rather assume that our nation and our heritage are beyond reproach, suddenly being confronted with this overturning of the world can come across not as gospel, but as a threat. This good news can look a lot like loss of wealth, of power, of prestige. If we see this from a human standpoint, that for others to gain, I have to lose, then it is truly wretched news. But St. Paul says that our deepest gains we count as but loss, because all pales in comparison to knowing the glory of Christ. And so if we see this overturning of the world, through the kingdom of God, then we see it as liberation. We recognize that the redemption of the oppressed and the redemption of the oppressor are bound up together. Those of us in positions of privilege are being set free from the sin of pride, set free from slavery to wealth, set free from the fear of our neighbors, just as our kindred are set free from captivity and poverty. Just as Christ's blessed mother sang of God's redemptive work overturning the order of this world, casting the mighty from their thrones and lifting up the lowly, feeding the hungry and sending the rich away empty, so too does Jesus announce that he has come for the poor, the captive, the oppressed. He has come to set the wealthy free from their slavery to wealth in order that the poor might be lifted up the hungry fed, and those enslaved by human masters 
set free. Jesus' ministry to pro- is to proclaim the ultimate jubilee, to proclaim the true justice of God's reign on earth. And having read from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus sits down and says, this has been fulfilled. And here we stop dead in our tracks because we have to ask a question. How has this been fulfilled? If you travel even through a small town, you see large homes, gleaming office buildings for the powerful, and luxury cars, all while our neighbors sleep in tents under freeway overpasses and beg for scraps downtown, even while our neighbors go hungry. The injustice of this age is evident, even to the limited human imagination that can't comprehend the full extent of God's divine majesty. You don't have to travel far to realize that this world does not look like the year of the Lord's favor. And here is a mystery of our faith. Christ has already accomplished everything, and yet we still live in a world marred by sin. We still face down temptation daily. We are still in bondage to sin. We still cannot free ourselves. Greed and corruption and injustice and violence still have their say in the cosmos. When Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah and sat down to preach, he said, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But that's not quite right. The Greek says something closer to, Today this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. This is a divine, miraculous work that has already begun, and it was already accomplished through Christ's death and glorious resurrection, and it is also ongoing. It is the work that Christ the King, the ruler of the universe, fulfilled through his preaching, through his miracles, through his life-giving passion and his glorious resurrection. It is the work that he will bring to its ultimate fulfillment when he returns in glory at the last day. It is the work that he is fulfilling even now. It is a work that he is fulfilling in many and various ways and even through us. Yes, the same Spirit is filling us, sending us out to be fulfillments of the words spoken by Isaiah through Christ. Yes, the Spirit is upon you. The Spirit is upon all of us gathered here, but also you in particular. Through these waters, the Spirit has called you to be a fulfillment of the words spoken. In baptism, you were made a part of the body of Christ. Whether you view yourself as an eye or an ear or a hand or a foot, you are part of that divine body with your own role to play, your own God-given purpose, your own God-given vocation through the church. You are now part of God's plan 
to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captive, freedom to the oppressed. God's kingdom already established through Christ and yet to come when Christ returns in glory is erupting into this world through you, my beloved. Yes, erupting through and among you as we gather in these pews, in this space, but also when you depart. You are an inbreaking of the kingdom of God on Sunday morning when we gather, but also on Sunday afternoon when we leave, and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as you go about in this world. When you were baptized, God reclaimed all of you. Every single part of your body, every single atom, the last hair on your head. Every moment of every day for the kingdom of God and to be an eruption of that kingdom into this world. So, dear ones, come. Come and be refreshed in this sacrament on the altar. Because here is Christ for you to forgive, to liberate, but also to strengthen you, to be his body for the sake of the world. Come, taste and see. Come remember who you are, a sinner redeemed by God's own grace, baptized into his body, and sent forth in ministry to the entire world. Come drink deeply from the cup of salvation, that you might go in order to pour yourself out for others as the kingdom of God arrives. Amen.